Lord God, I pray now as we uh, turn to your word, and we thank you for the time we get to sing songs of praise. Indeed, uh, we are in a spiritual warfare, uh, and our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the, the divine evil that's happening around the world. Um, we do pray that you would please give us, uh, equip us for this morning as we are going to be dealing with an important passage of scripture on uh, discernment. So I pray, Father, you would open up the eyes of our heart, help us to be aware of what we are called to do. And I ask that uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight and that Jesus Christ would be highly lifted up and glorified. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, then please turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. First John chapter 4, uh, I will begin by reading from verse 1. So brothers and sisters, this is God's holy word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There was a Greek poet by the name of Homer who might have been the author of a story called the Iliad. And the Iliad tells an event called the Trojan War. Uh, some of you may be familiar with that story, but for those of you who don't know, the Trojan War was a legendary conflict between the Greeks and the people of Troy, or also known as the Trojans. And Troy might have been an ancient city located in the western part of modern Turkey. And this war lasted for about 80 years, from 1260 BC all the way to 1180 BC. And the war ended when the Greek, the Greek pretended to withdraw from battle. And subsequently, they built a gigantic wooden horse as a token of surrender. And the Greeks persuaded the Trojans that the horse uh, was an offering to Athena, the goddess of war, that would make Troy unconquerable. So the Trojans, they happily took the, took the wooden horse back to their own city of Troy to make offerings to their gods. And little did the Trojans know, however, that the gigantic wooden horse concealed the Greek forces hiding inside that horse. And at nighttime, when pretty much every Trojan was fast asleep, the Greeks came out of that horse, opened the city gate to their comrades, who then sacked the city of Troy, thus finally ending the Trojan War. The, tr the strategy that the Greeks used with the gigantic wooden horse was famously known as the Trojan Horse. Outwardly, the wooden horse looked captivating and 
innocent enough to be received into the city. But inside, inwardly, there is a dangerous force that is ready to destroy the naive and the foolish. And in our contemporary, uh, this concept of the Trojan horse is used metaphorically. Uh, in the fields of computer, a Trojan horse is a type of virus or a malware that is often disguised as a legitimate software uh, program, app, or file. And the threats of getting a Trojan virus onto your computer is allowing hackers and cyber thieves to steal your personal data. Now, there is a dispute if this Trojan War and this Trojan horse uh, was mythology or history. But whether if this, is, this event was historical or not, what we should learn from that story is this. Don't be gullible. Don't accept things that look appealing. Don't believe stuff that sound or seem legitimate. What is even worse than a virus or a raiding party is the spiritual Trojan horses. Back in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27, uh, the Apostle John addressed the topic of the Antichrist and deception and false teachers. And so now he's returning to those topics. Uh, John was warning about the false teachers and Antichrist who were among the believers in this church family that he's writing to, and they confused the people there with their false doctrines, and subsequently they left and they gained some followers with them. And if you remember, in chapter 2, verse 19, John said this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And John's words are vitally important for our day and age in the church. Hence, I titled this morning's message, A Call for Discernment. A Call for Discernment. Now, we're not told how these false teachers, our believers, enter into the church. But might I suggest that 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 gives us a clue or a hint. Just maybe some simply believed and accepted these false teachers into the church without discernment. If you remember, these false teachers were, might have been the, the Gnostics who claim to have some sort of esoteric knowledge about God that can heighten their spirituality. They might have claimed to know something about Jesus that the apostles never taught the Christians. Some in the church might have thought that their teachings were so legitimate, so real, and they naively accepted them and, and their teachings because it sounds Christian. And what happened is that doctrinal confusion and division occurred in that church family. And so with John, with pastoral skills, he encouraged and he reassured the believers who remain in the church that they know the truth. In their previous message, in their previous passage, having just spoken about the spirit abiding in believers and talking about assurance of salvation, and uh, talking about loving one another, John gives a criterion for determining the nature of the Holy Spirit and other spirits, and how Christians can further know that they have eternal life. So in this passage, John exhorts and he warns the Christians and also us 
to watch out and to exercise discernment. Take a, so we'll proceed to the exposition of God's word. If you look at verse 1, verse 1, uh, we, will learn, we will see the commandment for discernment. The commandment for discernment. John, he warns the Christians with one negative commandment and one positive commandment. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. John warns the Christians to, to be discerning, to test the spirits. Now, we are commanded by John not to believe every spirit. And when John talks about the spirit, uh, he wants us to discern if the teachings we're receiving is from the Holy Spirit, from God himself, or from other spirits. So aside from the Holy Spirit, the spirits that John is particularly talking about here in this passage are the people who are activated by a spirit that is not from God. And such spirit that John talks about refers to the spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of error. In verse 6, he talks about the spirit of error, and this word error can also be translated as deception or delusion. We're not to be rash and impulsive in believing in accepting teachings that are labeled in the name of Christianity or in the name of Christ. In fact, a person who easily believes and accepts teachings is considered a foolish person. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15 says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. Now, this, in this verse, being simple is not a compliment. Uh, this word literally means someone who is naive and gullible. So instead of easily believing every spirit, John commands us to test the spirits. And notice, John is not giving us a suggestion. John is not giving us a, an option. He is giving us a commandment to obey. And this word test was used to refer to uh, analyzing metals, to test their purity and their value. It is to make a critical examining of it to determine its genuineness. And this word is used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, where prospective deacons need to be tested first to demonstrate their godly character and to prove to be uh, biblically qualified before they can serve as deacons. Another time this word is used is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 to 22, where Paul instructs believers not to despise prophecies, but to test everything, to, to hold fast to what is good, and to abstain every form of evil. Christians must test the spirits. The Christian faith is not spiritual gullibility. We must be discerning. Now, what exactly do I mean by discernment? It is really hard to find a precise biblical definition of this term. Uh, as we just read out in the book of Proverbs, uh, discernment does require wisdom, understanding, skills, uh, decision-making, and good judgment to determine uh, right from wrong. A helpful suggestion of a definition is uh, from, it's taken from a book called The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment. And this book is written by this author called Tim Challies. And here is how he defines discernment. 
And I quote, Discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong, end quote. And Charles Spurgeon, if he were here, he might just edit this definition a little bit because he said this, and I quote, discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. False teachers do not make their content sound blatantly false, uh, false uh, but to make it sound just about right so as to deceive. Remember Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent deceived Eve. The serpent subtly undermined and attacked the authority of God's word by asking Eve a simple question. Did God actually say so-and-so? And so in their dialogue, the serpent twisted God's word by changing God's word to make it sound like it's God's word, to make it sound like God actually said it. And he also, tried to con he also contradicted God's word by presenting the fruit as something to pursue. However, Eve, she lacked discernment. Not only did she lack discernment, she did not even completely know God's word. Uh, she knew some parts of it, but she added and she modified God's word and even confused herself too. And, and Adam was sitting by, his, by her side. And thus, she and Adam took the fruit, or if I could call it, the Trojan fruit, which brought spiritual death to humanity. And so knowing that we are commanded to discern and to test the spirit, what is the goal of testing the spirit? Well, the goal, the goal for discernment is found in what, he's, what John says in verse 1. To see whether they are from God. That is the goal. To see whether if they are from God. Christians must discern any teachings, any ideologies, any methodologies, philosophies, and trends, and social media posts to see if they're from God. And we know most of the things that we see online are not necessarily from God. Not every book, not every teacher, not every inspiration quote, not every song or thing that is labeled Christian come from God. Have you ever echoed this statement? Well, I believe in this, or I believe in that, uh, because this teacher or this pastor said so. Maybe you have. Maybe you have believed in something because your pastor said so, or the curriculum said so, or someone else on the internet said so. But consider the Bereans, the noble Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. You see, Paul was teaching, and these Bereans were so eager to receive Paul's teachings but they also examined the scriptures to see if what Paul said aligned with the word of God. They did not believe in the teaching simply because, oh, Paul said so. If Paul said so, that will be easy enough. But no, they believed because God said so in his word. And that settles it. The test of discernment is to examine if, the, if this teaching, or if this ministry, or if this teacher, or whatever that may be, is from God as revealed in his word. Furthermore, why must we discern? Well, we'll we, we see there's the reason for discernment. The, re the reason for discernment. John says, because or for, many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
John did not say a couple. He did not say a few. He did not say some. He said that there are many false prophets. Oh, we may yet be asking, what does many mean? Many means many. It implies a large number. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. And even in John's days, back, dated back maybe around 80, 90, when he wrote this letter, there were already many false prophets in the early church. And they claimed to teach what God said, when in reality, God did not even send them. The history of Israel teaches us that spiritual defectiveness and false prophets were in large numbers. Uh, there was a prophet in, back in 1 Kings chapter 22 by the name of Micaiah. I think that's how I pronounce it. Uh, Micaiah, in the days of Ahab, the king of Israel. And in that context, there was a war between Syria and Israel. So Ahab, he asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, to go to battle with him against the, against the Syrian armies. And Jehoshaphat, he was quite happy to go to battle, but he wished to inquire for the word of the Lord to see if this is what God wants us to do. And so Ahab brought 400 false prophets, and they all told Ahab to go to battle because you're going to beat this guy, you're going to defeat this king. But Jehoshaphat asked this question, oh yeah, I know this is, that they said it, but is there another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Is there someone who is actually true prophet, not these false prophets? Because, you know, when he asks this question, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? That question implies that these were not true prophets. And so Ahab, he responded, well, there is one guy of whom we can ask and inquire the Lord. There's this guy called Micaiah. He's, he's the son of Imla. But guess what? I hate this guy. I don't like this guy. Why? Because he never prophesies anything good about me. But he only talks about evil things about me, disasters about me. I don't like this guy. And so later on, they, they did bring out this guy, Micaiah. He's the true prophet of the Lord. He's a true prophet of the Lord. And he prophesied that Ahab will die in battle. And that actually did happen at the end of 1 Kings. False prophets will tell you things that you want to hear, thus giving you false hope, false peace, and false assurance. True prophets will speak the truth coming from the Lord, even though sometimes it is offensive and unpopular. False prophets will not try to offend you. They don't have sinister and evil looks. They'll try to attract and appeal to you with their message, uh, they may come and talk like us and act like us and they'll tell you uh, how they met Jesus. They may have attractive personalities and use convincing arguments that sound like it's from God, but they twist God's word so as to manipulate emotions and deceive the thoughts and have their own personal agendas. It was true in the days of Elijah. It was so in John's days and even more so in our day. John gave warnings to his disciples to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, Trojan horse. And all of this is propagated and produced by the power of the evil one, Satan himself. Satan is alive. 
He is continuously spreading lies, errors, confusions in the world and even in the church. He is continuously raising up false prophets to deceive the simple. He has been lying and deceiving ever since the beginning until this day. So if we think we're smarter than Satan, well, guess what? We're not. Satan has been living for so long. He knows all the tricks and, uh, up, up his sleeves to deceive people. Nothing much has changed except the channels of communication have been better with technological advancement. You see, it's so difficult in our day to exercise discernment because we have just so much information, so much information and teaching on the internet and different mediums such as blogs, podcasts, Instagram, Facebook. And because of those mediums, we may be even more exposed to potential false teachings and human philosophy that most often creep inside the church. Particularly on social media, you may have Christian friends who, sh- who may sh- unknowingly share ideas, uh, posts, and movements that might come from false teachers and false churches or just simply ministries who are just spreading errors ignorantly. And for those of you who don't use social media, you're blessed. So what could happen is that you hear the idea that you want to introduce, you hear this idea and you want to introduce it to the church because your friend shared it on Facebook, social media. So brothers and sisters, you need to heed John's warning here. If you're not heeding John's warning, you might eventually be deceived and cause problems for yourself and for others. And knowing the seriousness of obeying this commandment, we are to, how are we to test the Spirit? Well, how are we to discern the truth from error, right from wrong, right from almost right? How are we to do that? Well, John, in verses 2 to 3, he gives us the guideline for discernment. The guideline for discernment. He says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. You may remember that John wrote this letter to give believers the assurance of salvation. And he wants Christians to know with certainty that they're saved. And one of the tests that John gives is the doctrinal test. And this test pertains to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. How can you know that you have assurance of salvation? Well, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about him? I have spoken to Mormons many times in my life, and I always try to understand and discern why they believe what they believe. And when speaking about Jesus Christ, Uh, They believe that he was the Son of God. They believe that he was born of Mary. He's the Christ. He's the Savior. Uh, He's the Lord. He died on the cross and he rose again. And when you hear that, you'll be thinking, huh, that sounds the same as what we believe. (laughs) You see, when you just say, oh, I believe in Jesus, it's not as simplistic as it sounds. We need to let the whole counsel of God's word give its full voices, uh, full voice on the person of Christ. And so when you tell the Mormons 
that Jesus Christ, well, he's not just the Son of God, he's God. He's the second person of the Trinity. That is when you see deviation from them. See, the false teachers here in John's days, they deny something fundamental about the person of Christ. They believe in Jesus. They believe that he was only divine, though, but they rejected his humanity because they believed that all matter, material things and all matter, including the flesh and body, were inherently evil. And because of that, they cannot believe that Jesus Christ was you know, inherited evil. However, that's different in our day, since most people believe that Jesus Christ was a human being, but reject him as God, such as the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, and the Unitarianisms. John gives us a guideline for discernment, and he establishes a doctrinal standard for believers for how we are to test the spirits. He's, John says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And to confess means to publicly acknowledge a fact about his identity, Jesus' identity, Jesus' person, who was God incarnate, God who came in the flesh. And John is saying that the, the doc doctrinal standard is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ as revealed in the gospel, in the word of God. He is the God-man. He is the Christ, the Messiah, who came to this dying world to save sinners through his death and resurrection. He came to live the perfect life that we have failed to live, and he came to die, to die the death that we should have died. And, and see, with this gospel message, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by works at all. Not only do we need to believe in the work of Jesus Christ, that is what he has accomplished for us on the cross, but we also need to believe in his person, in who he is. That is what he reveals to us about himself in his word. And to deny this truth about the identity of Christ, John is telling us, do not believe this spirit because it is not from God. And anything, just letting you know, just anything, anything that distorts the message of the gospel and the person of Christ is to be rejected. See, whoever denies the person of Christ as a whole, this person has the spirit of the Antichrist. And the spirit of the Antichrist, as John says, is operating through many Antichrists that is in the, this world right now. It's here. It's right here. Right now. They're here. John already told us that in chapter, one verses, chapter 2, verse 22. They're everywhere in the world. And the word antichrist means someone who is against Christ, against who he is and what he claims to be. It, and it is the spirit of the antichrist working in and through false prophets and teaching a false doctrine about Christ and thus twisting the message of the gospel in the most subtlest ways. Now I need to be clear, John is not talking about secondary or tertiary issues that do not affect and twist the gospel in the person of Christ. For instance, we can agree, uh, we can disagree and debate on the fine details of the end times, uh, such as the millennial kingdom and the timing of the rapture, or we can debate and disagree about the modes of baptism with our Presbyterian friends next door. However, there are teachings that are so essential 
fundamental and non-negotiable that to deny them equals to rejecting biblical Christianity, teachings such as the Trinity, the authority of Scripture, creation, the historicity of Adam, the fall, sin, the atonement of Christ, salvation by grace in Christ alone, the the exclusivity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the only way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And even the second coming of Jesus, the fact that he is coming back in the future. And And also, the headship of Christ over the church. Who gets to call the shot in the church? Jesus does. How does he do it? He has given us in his word. Anything that twists and re- twists the gospel and twists God's word in any subtle ways, we are to be discerning. We are to reject that through teaching if it does uh, distort the gospel message because our salvation is at stake if the gospel is twisted. Moreover, discernment requires us to ask good questions about what we're learning and hearing. You see, if you're buying a new home, for instance, you would ask tons of questions to the realtor about the home that he's trying to sell you to make sure that uh, there's little to no problem and that you are getting a good deal out of it. So where to ask good questions? And the late A.W. Tozer, he has some wise counsel on how to try the spirits or how to test the spirits. And he posed seven tests to apply to any teaching in a form of questions. So I will go through these seven tests rather quickly, but you can pause the video uh, or take, note of, take notes or, or pull up your phone right now and take photos of these questions if you're, as you're listening to this, these lists. And so first, how does the teaching affect my relationship with God? Is he magnified and glorified or diminished? Second, how does the teaching affect my attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it magnify him and give him first place? Or does it subtly shift my focus onto myself or to some personal experience or some experience? Third, how does the teaching affect my attitude towards scripture? Did, it, did the teaching come from and agree with the word? Does it increase my love for the word? Fourth, how does the teaching affect my self-life? Does it feed self or does it crucify it? Does it feed pride or humility? Fifth, how does the teaching affect my relationships to other Christians? Does it cause me to withdraw, find fault, and exalt myself in superiority? Or does it lead me to genuine love for all that truly know Christ? Six, how does the teaching affect my relationship to the world system? Does it lead me to pursue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life? Does it lead me to pursue worldly riches, reputation, and pleasures? Or does it crucify the world to me? Finally, seven, how does the teaching affect my attitude towards sin? Does it cause me to tolerate sin in my life or to turn away from it and grow in holiness? Any teaching that makes holiness more acceptable and sin more intolerable is genuine. Now, if you you can always go back to this message online on YouTube and just go through these questions again uh, or jot them, and jot them down because these are very important questions to ask as you are listening to different teachings. 
And so John has shown us why we must adhere to the commandments, goal, reason, and guideline for discernment, because the enemy is all over the world. And so in verses 4 to 6, we're given the, the evidence for discernment. The evidence for discernment. And the evidence for discernment is based upon the response to God's word. And based on your response, it would tell you whom you truly belong. Either you belong to God or you belong to the world. So, in verse 4, John says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is a very popular verse. In verse 4, the evidence for discernment is that believers will reject falsehood. John tells the believers that they are from God and they have overcome them. That is the, the false prophets. They overcame them. They conquered them. Uh, they have Victory, they have victory over them by rejecting their false teaching and by remaining faithful to sound doctrine taught by the apostles revealed in the word of God. They resisted the temptation to accept their false teachings and they refused to join them. Now we know that the world is full of temptation, full of false teachers. That is, this is the world that we are living in. It is a reality. It is the world that is working to deceive you this is an everyday life from, from school to work to the internet. It is the world that wants to conform you to it, to its own worldview, instead of conforming you into the image of Christ and conforming you into having a biblical worldview. It is the world that wants, to, wants you to follow its pattern and not have your minds renewed. It's everywhere. Commercials, ads, TV shows, and many more. And perhaps it might just overwhelm you and maybe even scare you because with all that is around the world, it, is, it might be hard to discern the truth. It might be hard to discern the truth. But for the Christians in John's time, why were the believers able to overcome the false prophets? It is because of the Holy Spirit who is living in them. He is stronger than he who is greater in who, who he who is in the world. He is greater than he, that is Satan, the devil one, who is in the world. And so how does the Holy Spirit protect us and preserve us from error? The Holy Spirit will always lead us to the truth found in God's word, just like what John said in chapter 2, verse 27, about the anointing. The Holy Spirit will never ever contradict the contradict the word that he himself inspired and he will always lead us to the truth about the person of Christ and in the gospel. You see, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ and to exalt Christ. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John chapter 16, verses 13 to 14. And just notice this verse, this passage. Notice that the Holy Spirit will take the teaching of Christ and declare it to the apostles for the writing of the New Testament. You see, whatever Peter said, 
whatever Paul said and other authors of the New Testament said, they are actually the words of Christ. And whatever the Holy Spirit inspired in Scripture, they are actually the words of Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us to discern so that we're able to distinguish between what is truth and what is error. And as, the, and as we read God's word on a daily basis, and we should be reading it on a daily basis, as we study and read God's word, we cannot do it apart from the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate his truth into our minds and into our hearts. And it takes a lot of humility to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us to understand his word. If you hear any teachers that do not point you to Christ, but emphasize wealth, self-help, so-called fresh new revelations from God, from the charismatics, putting the, putting the teachers and elevating the, the teachers themselves, emphasizing morality over grace, uh, emphasizing emotions and hype, and or how to have the best life here and now, then they are anything but servants of Christ. See, the evidence for the lack of discernment is that you listen to false prophets. Take a look at what John says in verse 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Because the false prophets, they are from the world, their content and their speech originate from the world. They speak that way because the world wants to hear them, and so they won't lack a huge audience. However, their message won't be from God, but it'll be from the world. Uh, consider asking these questions. Do the teachings sound similar to what you hear in our culture? Do they sound similar to the values of this world? And the, and, the, and the secular philosophies of this society. If you see a mega church or a popular church, don't judge its success. Don't judge the success of the ministry by its size. Discern and test the spirits to see if the man of God on the pulpit proclaiming God's word is being faithful in explaining the whole counsel of God's word. And there are some mega churches in the world that are faithfully preaching God's word, although that's a very rare case. And so as we are reading this, we may think, these false prophets, oh, they're deceiving people. Oh, poor people, they, they don't know what they're getting themselves into. They might be victims to these false prophets. However, the world is actually not a victim to false prophets per se. See, worldly and carnal people want to listen to false teachings because they want what the false prophets want. They want what the false prophets teach. Why do I say that? Well, Paul said this clearly in his word to Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching years, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. They want, the false, they want to accumulate themselves, false teachers, to suit their own passion, to hear whatever they want to hear. 
and not to hear the things that are hard to hear. And so finally, in verse 6, the evidence that we are truly discerning is that we will follow the teaching of God's word. And if we end up following false prophets, then perhaps we may have failed in being discerning. John says this, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John says, we are from God. And so on the outset, John seems to be talking about Christians and himself. However, this is not the case. When John says, we are from God, he's talking about himself, but not just himself, but he is including all the apostles, all the witnesses of Jesus Christ. So what is John saying here? If you are to discern truth from error, God's word, written by the apostles and prophets, is your ultimate standard. Everything you hear needs to be tested with this word of truth. And I will invite you to test me too. You can know that you are from God because you know the truth and that you listen to true teachers who accurately proclaim God's word, the word of truth, as inspired by the spirit of truth. And you can know that you are not from God because you reject teachers who accurately proclaim God's word and that you follow teachers who are led by the spirit of error. You know, there is a challenge in being discerning. It is difficult to be discerning because I think discernment might not be taught nor practiced a lot by, the, by many Christians. Because we have, grown in our, we have grown with our culture a custom to be tolerant in this pluralistic and postmodern society with so many different opinions, different ideas, and different beliefs. And what might happen is that if you discern and test the spirits, sometimes people might accuse you of being unloving, offensive, harsh, and even sound judgmental. However, discernment is not unloving, but it is loving. But more on that later. You see, the intention of testing the spirits is not trying to be offensive, we're not trying to be harsh, but we're to test to see if they're from God, and we're to make good judgment to see if they're from God. Discernment does require believers to be patient in order to make that good judgment. Not judgment on someone's salvation. We don't, have that, we don't have the authority to do that. But judgment on what is right and what is not right. And to stand with conviction about it. But sadly, Tim Challey said that, says that discernment does come with division. He said, and I quote, Discernment will divide not only believer from unbeliever, but it may even divide a discerning believer from one who is undiscerning, end quote. And that is, that is a challenge of, this, of being discerning. The other challenge is the attitude of discernment. See, discernment is not about pride and know-it-all. Discernment is not about being rude and argumentative and malicious. Discernment is not about being distrusting and paranoid about people. But discernment is about love. And 1 Corinthians 13, the, love, the famous love chapter, even if we, 
if we, if we are discerning, but without love, I will even say that's nothing. We need to be loving about it. Discernment is about love. It is love for the truth, uh, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and love for, the, uh, love for the church, and love for lost people. And it, discernment does require us to be vigilant and to be on guard, while all at the same time being gentle and kind and loving to people. See, Jude 3, Jude, chapter, Jude verse 3 tells us that we're to contend for the faith that was once for all passed down, delivered to the saints. So if you read the letter of Jude, which is a very tiny, le- uh, small letter, uh, you'll know why it's important to fight, to fight to guard the truth, because it is a spiritual warfare that we are living in. Discernment is difficult because it takes discipline and long years of practicing and sharpening the skills It'll be even harder, by the way. It'll be even harder for you to be discerning if you are not reading, studying, and growing in your knowledge of God's word every day. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If you're, new, if you're new believers in the faith, I don't expect you to be fully discerning in the beginning. And that's why you need to be discipled. You need to be taught by mature and godly believers who know how to accurately interpret the word and explain the word. And as you grow in understanding of God's word, you will become spiritually mature. And you will start understanding the deep truths about the gospel and the word of God and about Christ so as to distinguish between good and evil. But whatever the challenge of discernment may be, it is crucial for our day. It is a commandment, like I said. Like John said, it's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. And so what are some ways we can grow in discernment? And if you're in my Bible study on Tuesday nights, and if you want to join my Bible study, then we'll continue to explore that question. But here, here are some practical ways, two practical considerations for how you can grow in discernment. First, if you are following a particular ministry or a Bible teacher or following some particular, uh, getting resources from this ministry outside of OBC, and they all sound good to you, but maybe you want to double check, then please talk to me about it. As you see, as your pastor, it is my job uh, to shepherd you and to lead you towards the truth. Second, Discernment implies that men and women need to be people of the word, just like the Bereans. We need to immerse ourselves into God's word on a daily basis, not just once a month, not just once a week, but on a daily basis. We need to be people. We need to be the church that knows the Bible, know our doctrine, and know our theology. But the excuses some have made is that those disciplines are for the, are for the scholars. Uh, they're for the pastors, they're not for me. Or that they're, they're too difficult to understand. Or that they lack time. Just letting you know, the Bereans, they were not scholars, but they still wanted to study, the, they, they still want to examine the scriptures and know God's word deeper. Consequently, those who make excuses have failed to obey this commandment to discern, to test the spirit, and, have been, and have been, may have been deceived by the spirit of the Antichrist. Maybe some 
would become spiritually weak in their understanding of God's word and would not even know how to protect themselves and fend themselves off from, from potential wolves. We need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do, brothers and sisters. We have sermons, we have small groups, Bible studies for students, for children, for adults that will help you to know God's word better. And if you are doing your own Bible study or your own personal devotion on a daily basis and you don't understand what you're reading, I recommend you to grab a study Bible. And then one, one of the, or a couple of recommendations I will offer to you is the ESV study Bible or the MacArthur study Bible for your personal devotion. And if you want trusted, if you want trusted and solid resources that are suitable for laymen, then please come and speak to me about it. And so, in conclusion, can I urge you, can I urge you and encourage you to be serious about growing in your relationship with Christ by reading and studying the Bible every day? Just find a small portion of your time, five minutes, ten minutes, uh, or a Bible reading plan that will help you and guide you through uh, your reading and by the spirit of truth, will you submit yourselves under the authority of God's word? Will you submit yourself to this word? God has given us his word, and we are to know him by reading this. And finally, as John has commanded us, will you heed his commandment to test the spirits? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we get to look at your word. There is so much that could be said and should be said about this topic of discernment. But we pray that this truth would have its particular weightiness in our hearts. And we pray that we would be your people who are not easily deceived by false teachings and false prophets, but that we would be diligent to test the spirits and not be quick to believe in everything. Help us to be faithful and loyal to the truth of your word because you gave us this precious truth so that we can know you and deepen our relationship with you. And we pray that you will raise up many in this church family who will love the truth and expose errors when needed. And to compare all that we see and hear in this world to the supreme authority and standard of your word. And we pray that by your grace, we will not experience spiritual defectiveness and depart from the faith passed down to us. And may we be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. And may we put on the whole armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.